beauties. You are listening to the Beauty of the Nile podcast. I'm Jasmine Mobley. The Beauty of the Nile podcast is your space for skincare tips, makeup tricks, inspiration, and motivation, especially for and from women of color. We are here to celebrate and highlight our skin's beauty. Love your brown skin. Each episode features a different guest who will be dropping dimes that help you care for and highlight your skin. I'm excited to be here with you. Let's get started. Today, I'm here with Alelia Bundles. Alelia is the author of On Her Own Ground, The Life and Times of Madam C.J. Walker, the 2001 New York Times notable book about her entrepreneurial great-great-grandmother and the inspiration for the fictional four-part Netflix series starring Octavia Spencer that premiered in 2020. Miss Bundles is at work on her fifth book, The Joy Goddess of Harlem, Alelia Walker and the Harlem Renaissance, about her great-grandmother, whose parties, arts, patronage, and international travels helped define the era. A former network television news executive and producer at ABC News and NBC News, Miss Bundles is a vice chairman of Columbia University's Board of Trustees and Chair Emeretta of the Board of the National Archives Foundation. She's on the advisory boards of the March on Washington Film Festival, the Schlesinger Library on the History of Women in America at Harvard's Radcliffe Institute, and the Smithsonian's American Women's History Initiative. Alilia, welcome to the Beauty of the Nile podcast. So, Alilia, you authored On Her Own Ground, The Life and Times of Madam C.J. Walker, which inspired Self-Made, which I'm sure a lot of people have seen about your great-great-grandmother, and you're now working on your fifth book, which is The Goddess of Harlem, The Joy Goddess of Harlem, Alilia Walker and the Harlem Renaissance, so about your great-grandmother. So I would love to know what drew you to tell the stories of your family and really share them with the world like you have. So I, I grew up in a household where both of my parents worked in the hair care business. My mother was vice president of the Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company, my dad had worked for the company for a short time after they got married, but then he became president of Summit Laboratories, another black hair care mm. company. So I was surrounded by people who were in the business, who were entrepreneurs. But my passion was writing, and my parents encouraged me to follow that dream. And so journalism became my path rather than the hair care industry. Uh, and I am 68, so that means I was growing up during the 1950s and 1960s when there was not a lot of Black history. There were not a lot of books being published by Black authors, but I was honing this craft. And when I got to um, Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism in 1975, right. my advisor, Phyllis Garland, the only Black woman on the faculty, yeah. recognized my unusual name, Alelia. And she recognized that there was a connection uh, to Madam Walker, even though I wasn't walking around talking about right. it. <laughs> and Phil said to me, after I had given her some really boring topics for my master's paper, <laughs> she said, your name is Alelia. Do you have any connection to Madam Walker? And I said, yes, that's my great-great-grandmother. And Phil said to me, that's what you're going to write your paper about. And that really started me on the path. It validated the story for me. And so I spent summers and holidays and you know, weekends do, doing research about Madam Walker while I went to work at NBC News as a producer and was learning how to be a television producer. So that has led to four books. The first one, a young adult book in 91, and then On Her Own Ground, the book that became the inspiration for Self-Made and then two other books. And I'm almost finished now with 
the first major biography of Alelia Walker, uh, the joy goddess of Harlem. That's so exciting. And I'm so glad that Phyllis told you you needed to, you needed to pivot a little bit because of all the work you've given the world now. So that's, that's amazing. Well, and it, you know, it's really taught me so much about our history. I will tell you, you know, I was a good student growing up, but history was not one of my real interests because mm -hmm. we're not in the history books. Right. And so I now try to, as a corrective in some ways, mm -hmm. write the books I wish had been written for me. Yeah. And I like to tell our story. And I think we're in a moment in particular where all of these stories that you and I know that right. we have been talking about for our entire lives about uh, both the triumphs and the hard parts of being Black in America. Other people who said they never understood or weren't paying attention or were intentionally ignoring these stories seem there seems to be a cohort that's now listening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so great that you're telling the stories because what I've said for so long is that it's not like we're back when you were, you know, going to journalism school where we weren't being written about. Like so many people like you are are writing our stories, telling our stories, putting them on screen. So there's really no excuse, you know, now <laughs> it's all there. And 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 if you didn't know before, you, you should certainly know now. So I think that's that's awesome that you're able to to give that to the world. And I think people are speaking up in a way, you know, I know that you are you know, a recent graduate of Columbia's uh, business school. And I certainly entered the corporate world in the 70s when the doors were opening up for women and for people of color and affirmative action. And I'm very proudly uh, glad to say that affirmative action assisted me in yeah. getting through the door, even though I certainly had the talents and skills that everybody right. else had, <laughs> but I still wouldn't have been let in the door. Uh, but I think that for my generation, while we certainly spoke up, you realized after a point that if you mentioned too many things mm -hmm. about race that you were easily dismissed and sidelined. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad to see that uh, we are in a moment now where people both in my generation and through the younger generations are making sure that their colleagues in these predominantly white environments are having to hear their stories. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's like people like you and our, and our ancestors, people who came before us, all the generations that came before us, you know, that allow that to be the case, right? Because none of it would be happening without that. But yes, we're a very vocal, <laughs> vocal generation. Um, and so I know you talked about at the beginning, you were working on writing books, writing these books, your first book, when you were still a journalist. So how did you decide to transition from this long and successful career that you had in network television to what is now a soon to be five time book author? So I was, I'm really glad that I spent 30 years in network television news. So it was about 13 and a half years with NBC and about 16 and a half years with ABC News as a producer and then as an executive as deputy bureau chief in Washington DC and as director of talent development. It was important to me to have my own career and to not be, you know, the great great granddaughter of somebody famous. I needed to have my own thing and develop my own skills and I think by doing that I'm more equipped to be able to tell this story. I have a better understanding of how to navigate and it doesn't hurt to have worked in media. But while I was, it was became kind of a parallel track. I was working as a producer 
And then I was writing on the side. And so when I wrote my first book in 1991, I was still working at NBC, but I was able to take a leave of absence. I actually did have supportive uh, colleagues who let me take some time off to do that research. And, and along the way, I realized I was beginning to outgrow my place at ABC News. Mm -hmm. I had become director of talent development, but I was really ready to do my own thing. And the news business, as everybody knows, has been changed considerably since 1976. <laughs> it has, like so many other industries, been disrupted. Mm -hmm. And part of what was happening as I was making my decision to leave network television news is that the journalism was now being um, subsumed by the need to make a profit. And mm. that meant that a lot of editorial decisions were things that I thought were kind of frivolous. Now, that said, there is some really fabulous journalism going on right now, even at the same time that we're dealing with a bunch of noise. But I was ready at that stage in my life to lead the everyday, the news business and to pivot and go into writing books full time. But also along with that, there were some other things I really wanted to do. I had not been able to um, serve on nonprofit boards while I was working full time in a corporate mm -hmm. setting. And so I've been able to do that uh, as well. That's wonderful. And I really liked what you said about wanting to kind of cement your own career separate of you know the legacy that you had been left. And I'm sure, like you mentioned, that that makes you an even better um, author, like even better at your craft because you took the time to, you know, explore and do something completely different. So I liked that. That's important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's nothing more pathetic than somebody who is just kind of living on somebody else's <laughs> legacy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's, but you know, oftentimes I think when people have a legacy handed to them, not everybody takes it upon themselves to go out and kind of carve their own path like you did. So I think that's fantastic. Um, it's a gift for me. It is yeah. a gift. Yeah, it is. It's wonderful. Probably gives you a lot of good perspective too. Um, so you know, then you, then you know why you're doing what you do. And it allows me to meet people like you. It allows me to meet lots of people who are doing interesting things. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And um, it, when you decided to write on her own ground, you know, tell the story of, of Madam C.J. Walker, what was your hope? Like, what was your goal in writing that book? Well, I wanted to be able to give other people an opportunity to see just how amazing, really, uh, African-Americans were during the late, 19, late 1800s and early 1900s. Right. This first generation out of slavery, creating community, creating organizations, uh, being involved in politics, creating businesses. I, that was something certainly that was not taught in my history books and that most people didn't know. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're now hearing about um, Tulsa and Black Wall Street, but those stories were repeated time and time again in cities all over the United States. And Madam Walker was part of that generation who was creating opportunities and trying to create um, economic opportunities and economic freedom uh, and generational wealth for African-Americans. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you said, um, what you said before is really true. Like a lot of the black history, really, I was telling my, my parents, you know, had a lot of time in quarantine to talk to my parents, which has been great. And I was telling them like all the black history that I know, it's funny behind, behind my computer is a bookshelf of 
black <laughs> black history books from my grandparents and from my parents and all of that that I learned you know was from books like yours that were taught to me at home but it was not stuff that was taught in class and, and you're right like there, there's no reason why not like there are so many people who didn't know the story of Madam C.J. Walker you know I have friends who are not black te texting me when, when the movie came out like have you heard about this I'm like yeah yes <laughs> I've, I've actually knew about this before before Netflix um so I think it's I think it's a really interesting interesting point that you bring up and I think that you're telling the stories and you continue to tell the stories and people are now hopefully going to be more susceptible to learning because our history is American history truly that's, that's so that's fantastic. And, and through the work that you do, you know, through all of the books that you write, through your work as an author, what impact do you hope to leave on the world? Well, I really do hope that people will pay attention to the contributions that um, Black Americans have made to this country. I mean, and I, you know, like you, my grandfather was very interested in history in his own family. It was my grandma, my mother's mother's family that was the Walker family, but my mother's father's family had been free people of color. They had, my, his, his grandfather had gone to college, it had been valedictorian of his class. Yeah. And these were people who um, owned property and owned stores and were entrepreneurs. And I really want to make sure that, that we claim our history so that we are able to say we are the real Americans. <laughs> and that it's, it's important for me that people understand that and that they not let somebody else define them. I do think that one of the lessons that I have learned through this process of seeing my book turned into a film is that everybody who is working in Hollywood, even if they are Black, uh, they're not necessarily understanding the impact of the stories that they tell. And I think uh, while there were many things about self-made that were great, Octavia Spencer was great. I love the wigs. There were some <laughs> that I liked, you know, where Madam Walker is talking to other sales agents and uplifting women. Yeah, I love that. You know, but there were things that really bothered me. And mm -hmm. it was reducing Madam Walker to a cat fight. Mm -hmm. A woman who in real life, she did have a rival, but the way the story was portrayed, that it was about skin color and mm -hmm. that they were at each other's throats and that was the centerpiece of their life. That was not true, but we now, for many people who don't know anything, that's the impression that they have, that she's a ruthless businesswoman like a Rockefeller. When her <laughs> role, her goal was to empower other women and yeah. To lift them up. Uh, so I'm really, I'm bothered by that. Yeah. I'm bothered by the fact that they created a character who was a pimp and a numbers runner who didn't really exist and who her attorney in the film bet on the numbers and then took illegal money to invest in her business. That didn't happen. So I think they were perpetuating some myths um, because they thought the audience wanted it. So I mm. think that if I do anything and said, I want to do a do-over, Mm. I, as I finished this uh, book, a biography of Alelia Walker, I certainly want to give people a different impression than the character who was in, mm -hmm. <laughs> who was played by Tiffany Haddish, since that was nothing like the real person. So I want to use all of the history that I've learned 
and to be able to keep elevating that and to do another series that I hope will be a more accurate story. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting you say that because as we were watching the series in my house, my dad, like I mentioned, is very into art history. And, you know, with Madam C.J. Walker and with Booker T. Washington and some of the other characters, he was like, I don't remember that being, it's so, so don't worry, there are some of us who know and who are really into it and know. And I remember when my dad would pause the, move, the, the series every like, every time something happened, he'd be like, I don't think that was, you know, and we, we read your book. So we were like, that's not what we read. And that's not what we know of these, of these characters. So, you know, hopefully more people too will take it upon themselves to really read the books and hopefully, you know, there'll be, you'll be able to find a match in a, in a, in a right, in a film writer, you know, someone in Hollywood who will kind of keep the integrity of your next book. Um, right. Well, bless your dad. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I know. And for me, it is, it, you know, telling these stories, you know, Booker T, I know some of Booker T Washington's descendants, they were really, really upset. And I yeah. totally understand it. So was I, I was upset for them. Yeah. But I think it is a much richer story rather than to just kind of, you know, default to a cliche. Madam Walker and Booker T Washington started off in a rocky way. Yeah. Then they had a confrontation, right. but then they found common ground. Right. Well, that for me is a much better story arc. Right, 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 right. Absolutely. So, I mean, I'm excited and I, I hope that everyone else will keep an eye out for your next book. And hopefully if that does go to film, you know, the, the, it's portrayed in, the, in an accurate way. Because you're right, these stories, the thing about these stories, which is, I believe, your point, is that they're so deep. They're so much deeper than like a little tiff <laughs> that someone may have had or, or someone, you know, having issues with colorism or whatever. It, it was like, no, this was business. These were real people and they were trying to make, you know, make things happen at a, at a, at a difficult time. Um, right. So, yeah, so I, I'm excited for the next book and don't worry, at least in, in the Mobley household, at least people, <laughs> we, we were pausing. We were like, wait a second. We, we even pulled out the book. We were like, no. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah, so we, we've, we've got it over here. Um, and so kind of along that same line, what's one thing that you want the world to know about your great-great-grandmother, Madam C.J. Walker? You know, I, I want people to understand just where she came from. This is Sarah Breedlove, born on the same plantation where her parents and older siblings had been enslaved, the first child in her family born free in December of 1867 a washerwoman until she was 38, a widow mother at 20. But by the time she died in 1919 at 51, she was a millionaire and she was living in one of the wealthiest communities in America. But more important even than that is that she brought other women along with her. She had been mentored and empowered by the women of her church, St. Paul AME Church, by the people in the choir, by in the missionary society, they had seen a spark in her. And as she developed her business, she saw the spark in other black women and provided jobs for them, provided income for them, allowed them to educate their children, and then even took it to the next level. In 1917, when she had her first convention of her sales agents, her first national convention, at the convention, she gave prizes to the women, not only who had sold the most products, but who had contributed the most to charity. And 
she said to the women, I want you to understand that your first duty is to humanity. I want others to look at us and realize that we care not just about ourselves, but about others. And at the end of the convention, the women sent a telegram to President Woodrow Wilson, urging him to support legislation that would make lynching a federal crime. So this woman who had started off the daughter of formerly enslaved people, uneducated, washerwoman until she was 38, had transformed herself into somebody who was leading other people and helping them make their lives better. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's super important. And I'm glad that you said it here and it's now forever, forever here. Um, because that's, I think that's a really important part of that was in the book and important part of the story um, that was maybe missed on screen. So, and that's, that's the, to me, that's the best part, right? It's like hearing about somebody who was successful just because they're supposed to be, that's like, not that exciting, but right. but hearing that story is, I think, an important one. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah, and along those same lines, how important do you believe, and or maybe you know, but how important do you believe self love and belief was to the legacy that is Madame C.J. Walker? Because she was doing some tough, tough stuff in a tough time, and she succeeded. Absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's important. It is ultimately the most important thing, you know, because her journey is about hair and hair is something that we still grapple with as black women. So coming to terms with becoming comfortable with our hair, loving our hair, when we all have you know, a lot of different things going on in, on our scalps. I know I have four or five different textures going on in any one family. Right. <laughs> everybody has something different going on. Whatever your mother's hair is, is a combination of her ancestors. And then your hair is a combination of your mother's ancestors and your father's ancestors. And we never know what's never exactly going to come out. Right. And so it is a lifelong journey to get comfortable. And she certainly, Sarah Breedlove, who became Madam Walker, certainly experienced that. And she was living in a time when hygiene was really different, when most people didn't have indoor plumbing. So first she was dealing with scalp infections and that was what her original product addressed. It was a shampoo and then an ointment with sulfur, kind of like a Vaseline, but sulfur healed her dandruff and the scalp yeah. infections, and then her hair could grow back. So that was step one in you know, finding self-acceptance. And then the fact that she put her own image on her product container at a time when nobody else was saying black women are beautiful. And she felt enough of a mission that she wanted to say to other black women, you know, we are beautiful. We are, she was making a statement. She was making sure that other people could see themselves in her. And it was not only about the hair, it was about your economic independence. It was about who you were as a person and a leader in the community. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's really beautifully said. And you're right. I mean, how could you have overcome everything she overcame and created what she created, the products? And as you said, really a brand that speaks to more than just the hair, but how you feel about it. How could she have done any of that without, you know, supreme belief in herself? Because, you know, she didn't have any you know, she didn't have any help or anything. It's not like she had like parents who had done it and were just giving, you know, passing it down. So I think that's really, really well said. Yeah, and, then, and it was a journey. I think it's a journey for all of us. She certainly, there was, when she was a young woman and there was nobody saying to her, Sarah, you know, Sarah, you're so beautiful. She had to 
find that within herself. And I think it really was those women in her church who began to help her have some confidence. Yeah. And then she took that little seed and it blossomed inside of her. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I love how you continue to bring up, you know, the relationships that she had with women and wanting to lift up other women, because I think that's super important. Um, and not always, uh, not always elevated, not always highlighted. So I think that's wonderful that she did that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there was obviously we talked about there was a, a storyline of sort of colorism within the movie but what do you think or or what do you know madam cj walker's thoughts would be on skin tones and the differences in skin tones and just in general yeah you know i'm sure that she experienced it i mean you can't be a black person in america and not be aware that people are making judgments about skin color and some people are as they say color struck Mm -hmm. And, you know, and they're, they exaggerate it, they make it into something that it shouldn't be that they think what that lighter skin is better than darker skin. And that's just, I think some people have psychological issues. If they are. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. But that is a hierarchy that has been created as a result of our experiences in America and ultimately, and you know, the, um, the incidents and the occurrence of rape. Mm -hmm. And so you cannot look at us and not see that we did not come here, our ancestors did not come here with these same skin tones. So some people have subverted that, perverted it. And I'm sure that uh, in Madam Walker's life, she saw that, but, I, but in her, her relationships with other people, the people who were part of her team, yeah. uh, span the spectrum. So I don't see of those people who were closest to her that that was um, a deterrent. I think this was very much something that the head writer, Nicole Asher, has said she wanted to introduce into the show and therefore she made it with a character who mm. was a foil to Madame Walker. Mm. But it is obviously a real issue in our community. I, I, if I were you know, writing something and felt the real need to mm -hmm. include that as a theme, I would have had the Madame Walker character observing mm. other people participating in that and her right. intervening. Right, right, right. Because that was more true to, to her. And, and what you're saying is basically that she didn't, she, she experienced it surely how could you not during that time period but that that did not deter her from hiring people putting people on her team surrounding herself with people who were just good at what they did um based on skin tone so you think that she would be she would have been more accepting and not the one perpetuating these absolutely yeah Okay. You know, awesome. across, the, across the board, because I, you know, I look her, the woman who was the um, manager of her factory, Alice yeah. Kelly, mm -hmm. was somebody who really could pass for white. Sometimes people look right. at that picture, that picture in the Model T, and they think Alice Kelly is white. Her mm -hmm. bookkeeper was dark. Mm -hmm. her, she was dark, you know, her daughter, you know, so right. it's not, it, it, there wasn't a, a hierarchy of color, skin color going on in Madam Walker's inner circle. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I think that's great. And, you know, how important, this is more personal to you, but how important has self-love and just believing in yourself been on your journey to where you are now? Oh, absolutely necessary. <laughs> you know, I'm very fortunate that I had uh, a mother who when I was a kid and, you know, as a kid, you know, you think your nose is too big, you know, you, whatever, you just, 
there's stuff that you don't like about yourself because that's what you do as a kid. And my mother was always so supportive and so loving about helping me accept myself. So I, I feel very fortunate in that way. And, you know, but as you grow older, there's still situations that you bump up against. And um, so you have to find that inner strength. I do a lot of meditation. Um, I do a lot of chakra meditation. I do yoga. There are things that I do to when I know that I'm in a, you know, challenging situation or, you know, having some kind of disagreement or fight with somebody, I kind of have to just go inside and look for that inner strength. And I'm also fortunate to surround myself with good friends Mm -hmm. who um, help shore me up. And, you know, sometimes there are people who are close to that you have to let go. And so I have to let, let go of those people too. Right, right. And I think I love what you said about going inside whenever you're having a tough time, because that's really the only the only way, you know, um, however you're feeling about your looks or something going on in the world, like I think going inside is really the only way to cultivate that that peace. So that's that's great advice. I love that. And 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 knowing who who you can talk to outside of yourself, who is really going to be supportive, who is going to give you sound advice, or just be a sounding board. I mean, it is really that community is so important. And I think right now we're particularly feeling the challenges when the people that we are closest to that we're not able to feel them and touch them and hug them, but we are finding ways to still communicate. It's very, very important. Right. This is like the best part of my day because it's someone, I was like, I'm talking to someone outside of my house. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) So you're totally right. The community piece is super important. And, you know, when I look at, when I was, first of all, when I read about you prior to this, but when I was reading all the things that you've accomplished, this may be a difficult question for you to answer, but what do you feel have been your biggest accomplishments? And why? Well, you know, writing books has been a big thing. I mean, I'm I'm really very proud of my books and um, and the stories that I'm able to tell. And I'm really looking forward to finishing the Joy Goddess of Harlem because that is the last really major book that I intend to write. I need some time to have some fun, so, <laughs> yeah. so I will be really happy when that's done. But I think the other thing, I feel good about a 30-year career in network television news and some of the stories that I worked on, but also some of the younger people whose careers I helped to nurture and I helped to build. And then I have been able to do, to serve on some nonprofit boards and have some leadership roles at the National Archives Foundation and as a trustee at Columbia University and some other alumni activities at Harvard and Radcliffe, my undergraduate school. So I I feel good about my career. I feel good about having written books and then being able to give back with with through nonprofit organizations. Because ultimately I think the thing that you leave behind is the contributions that you make to others. It's not, you know, how much money you have in your bank account. Right. Absolutely. That's beautifully, beautifully said. And another question for you, what does being a woman of color, having skin of color mean to you? And I, I always, I ask this of everyone and I love hearing all the different answers. You know, black don't crack. <laughs> um, you know, I just, I feel really good about where we are in this moment in history. 
um, whether other people are listening to us or not, and more people are, but we know our value. Mm -hmm. And that's really important to me. And, you know, and in terms of skincare, <laughs> my mother was great. My, my mom grew up, my mom's parents were divorced. And so she grew up kind of between Indianapolis, where her mother lived, and Pine Bluff, Arkansas, where her father lived. And she was raised much of the time by two, as they would say, maiden aunts, her, okay. her father's aunts, her great aunts. And she said nobody taught her how to take care of her skin. Mm. And she wanted to make sure that I would learn how to take care of my skin. So we would step over, you know, over the stove and have the steam come up, you know, cleansers rather than soap. And so she gave me those lessons. And then for a period of time, for almost 20 years, I would get a facial every month. So I'm now at the point where uh, I have aging skin. <laughs> <laughs> well, you look great. You don't look like you have aging skin. You look fantastic. But I, but it, but I, we, and I think you know, you do have to take care of your skin. I think that's part of part of being a woman of colors. Our skin is oilier. Um, our skin takes care, but we have to love our skin. We have to love ourselves. Yeah, that's great. And so, do you still do the steaming? I mean, maybe you don't do it over the stove, but do you still do the steaming and the cleansers? Is that still part of your? Yeah, you know, I have. I have to admit that I have not been doing the steaming lately, <laughs> but I do. I am a big, you know, cleansing in the morning and um, astringent and moisturizer and eye cream. I do all of that, and yeah. I don't really wear a lot of makeup. I don't really like makeup, but you know, eyes and lips you got to do. <laughs> That's great advice. Um, and the facials every month, my mom taught me that too. So it's an expensive, <laughs> an expensive habit, especially when I was in school, but uh, definitely learned that one too. Yeah. It, I mean, it pays, it certainly pays off in the end. It, it, but plus it's, you know, it's a, it's relaxation and somebody else is taking care of you. That having somebody else do that care is uh, good psychologically and emotionally. I think. That's true. That's very true. Okay. Awesome. And now I want to know, what are some words of wisdom that you live by? Maybe like on a tough day or when you're in like a writer's block or anything? Well, I, I think one thing that immediately comes to mind when there's a difficult moment is this too shall pass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I know that I am just going to um, try to make smart and wise decisions. Sometimes people will be in blocking my path. And I know that there is another way that I can get around that. I just have to be smarter about it. I have to be patient and it will happen. But I'll also say that Madam Walker's words, I, I listened to, she said that people often asked her the secret to her success. And she said, there is no royal flower strewn path to success. And if there is, I have not found it. But whatever success I have obtained has been the result of much hard work and many sleepless nights. I got my start by giving myself a start. So don't sit down and wait for the opportunities. You have to get up and make them for yourself. Wow, I love it. How special, that's amazing. I'm just gonna keep this and play it for my play it for myself over and over. That's, those are really good ones and that's so true. I think sometimes people get caught in the, in, in thinking, oh, there's going to be this big break and someone's going to give me something or do something and then I'll, you know, and that's, I mean, we heard it here first, right? That's not, that's not the way. That's wonderful. And 
another question, which is sort of on a related note, what's one big thing, and this can be personal or professional, that you've learned that you wish you'd known before you started on your journey? So this can be like your life journey, your career, however you'd like to answer the question. Uh, you know, I wish I had taken my father's advice to make sure that I was really fluent in another language. Uh. I did French in high school. I tested out of French class when I got to college. I wish I had had to go to those 8 a.m. labs. <laughs> <laughs> And I wish that I had done that because then I would have taken the opportunity to live overseas. So mm. if I have any, you know, regrets or anything that I wish I had done, it's that in my 20s and 30s, I wish I had uh, taken the opportunity to live outside the United States. That's a good one. That's a good one. And my last question for you, what does being a part of the Beauty of the Nile community mean to you? You know, it means sisterhood with other women who are supporting each other, uh, who are talking about the things that sometimes can be challenging, but who also can figure out a way to triumph. I love that. That's beautiful. And I love asking that question because everyone gives something different, but I think it all comes back to why I created this community. And I want to thank you so much for coming today and sharing your story, your family's stories, and you are such a gift to so many people. And definitely you have some fans in the, in the Mobley household. So thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you very, very much. I hope you all have enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. I loved what Alelia shared about the importance of telling her family's stories and sharing them with the world. And I really enjoyed her perspective on the importance of self-love and belief in her great-great-grandmother, Madam C.J. Walker's legacy. I'm excited to continue to elevate our voices and highlight the knowledge of women of color. I know I learned a lot of great info today that I will put into practice immediately. This is Jasmine Mobley, and you've been listening to the Beauty of the Nile podcast. Beauty of the Nile is your space for skin tips, makeup tricks, inspiration, and motivation. We are here to celebrate and highlight our skin's beauty. Say it with me. Love your brown skin. Be sure you catch the next episode's amazing gets will be dropping gems. For fabulous beauty inspiration, especially for brown skin, get our free newsletter subscription at beautyofthenile.com. We cannot wait to connect and share with you. Until next time, enjoy life.